The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger. Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Graham Scott here, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising podcast. So hello and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. My name is Andrew Leff. I'm going to be your host today, and I'm very excited to dive into one of the books that I've read and a few of the a bunch of the community has read, Systems Inspired Leadership. And I'm very happy to have my friend, my mentor, my you know superstar on the line with us today, uh, Marita Frijan, and I also have Mike Cadell. So Mike, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. Uh, uh, howdy y'all, Mike Cadell, the irregular regular here on the podcast and uh, <laughs> delighted to be here and uh, to uh, have a chance to chat with Marita. Yeah, and I also wanna give uh, Marita an opportunity to introduce herself to maybe some people that, that don't know of her existence in this big universe we live in. Uh, thank you, Andrew, and happy to have you here, Mike, as well. And when you talk about introductions, I, I will give you something brief, uh, but then I also want to leave that open. If you want to know any more, anything more about me, then uh, people can feel free to ask questions uh, and draw it out from that perspective. I am currently, uh, and have been for the last mm, 15, 20 years, the CEO of CRR Global. I think what is more interesting is for you to know what it is that brought me to the kind of work that we do in, uh, in the sense that I grew up in South Africa during the apartheid era and it hugely impacted how I think about challenge and rank and privilege and what brings about change. And one of the biggest lessons there was there came a time when there was an exodus of white academics and particularly people from the medical field because it felt like we we couldn't solve the problem from the inside and it felt like we became more and more part of the problem um and i can tell you stories about having been um imprisoned together with my black and people of and colored friends uh, and even in that i had privilege because i was white uh, and everybody else was uh in south africa we talked the difference between colored and black because it's a heritage piece. Um, so I think it was that that had me realize that individuals can't really make the change by themselves and that actually the change there only started happening when the global economy 
economies started putting sanctions against South Africa. So it was a global systemic interference that created some of the change. We locally, even on a systems level, we couldn't make the change. And I think that some of my childhood experiences, including that, is part of what sent me on, I'm a gypsy. I, I, I spent two years on the Amazon. I come from South Africa, I've lived in five different countries, had businesses in three. So you can't ask me who I am because I'm a walk-in and I'm a global citizen. So what can I say? Anything else you want to know? Uh, <laughs> welcome. That's long enough. End of novella. Wow. I mean, it's, again, the the messaging and the story to, to kind of where you are today is, it was one of the things that you shared with me. And I just really love your story. There, there's just so much there to, to that has emerged for me as just personally and professionally. So I appreciate the things you share. And I think more of our leaders need to be vulnerable in the way that you show up. So I, I will pause there, but I do also, I want to bring it back. So as, as we embark on this, I've read your book twice now. So Systems Inspired Leadership, I, I, I affectionately like to think, and I don't even know if this is possible, Marita, but can you have a third entity with a book? I literally feel different with the book sitting next to me as, and have a third entity with it because it almost presents itself as my approach. It keeps me focused on something different when I feel yes. consumed with emotion. It's, it's interesting that you ask that question because in the co-authoring of the book, um, it's a place that Frank and I went to a number of times when there was a place where we couldn't quite see how to make it fit in a way that both of us can align with. It's almost like we could ask the book what it wants. And that example and metaphor for me comes from a long time ago. There was a, a, a well-published author that came to me and he had his contract from his publisher for his next book already. And he had writer's block. He just could not get it out. And he was looking for a coach. And I literally did work with him in terms of his relationship with the book. And what does the book want from him? Uh, and it was, I mean, years later, he got the book out, but he kept writing me and leaving notes and saying that to this day, I will have my characters in the book. He writes novels, uh, you know, and, <laughs> and science fiction. I will have my characters in the book, have a conversation. And then ask them, what does their relationship want to say in the book? And then, so it literally got transformed into just what you're talking about. It's a very different conversation when it's me, ego self, talking about the book. It's a very different conversation from what is the book? What is that message trying to give us? And that takes a pause. So I love that you point there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's something that emerged for me as I was preparing to talk to you. And I I have been doing a lot of that type of thinking and, and again, leaning into my ORSC training, which I've had the privilege of going through with you. Um, some, some right, if we take this down more of a, an ORSC kind of path, what, what was your high dream for this book? If we do a high dream, low dream. So yeah. when we lean into the ego comment, right, what was your high dream and what was your low dream based upon, you know, your partnership with Frank and, yeah. and just really getting an understanding of what you wanted to put out into the world? It's such a, it's a difficult question uh, because we started writing the book just prior to COVID hitting. So 
what was happening then in terms of the hydrogen for the book. My first blog on Systems Inspired Leadership, I published in 2013. So I wow. played with the systems, but we called it systems oriented at the time, but that conflicts with Sol, which is another big organization. So that's where it becomes systems inspired. And it actually is the way in which the thinking is. So I think that um, the high dream for the book that became my <laughs> high dream was that there's a better understanding for leaders, not only coaches, but from leaders that they don't have to carry it all alone. As a CEO, I can sit in that question and in that hot seat with you as a leader. How do you not have to do everything and feel that responsibility? When we look at some of the research that's out, uh, it's always been like that. But uh, during COVID and right now, again, the suicide rate among CEO has increased. Wow. It's that kind of place. If if leaders can begin to feel like there is, they don't have to carry the burden. Because that's not where the brilliance is. There's some brilliance there. So I think that was the high dream. How do we get this thinking, not, you know, with leaders and with team members? And in addition to that, what has evolved for me now is how do we get this information on the street? It's not just for the privilege of coaches and leaders. How does that become part of how we think? Wow. And, the, and I think the low dream is that somebody would go and say, you're just talking BS. I mean, she's like, what are you talking about? It's like, just, just <laughs> California woo-woo or kumbaya or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's not the first time you've been acu accused of, of woo-woo uh, uh, no. or, or kumbaya. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, yeah. all, we, all we all walk that edge. I know, so. I know, I know, I know, I yes, know, yeah. Um, so uh, Marita, uh, in reading the book, it, it, it's obvious the uh, concept of relationship system intelligence is the cornerstone of, of this book. Uh, for some folks, you know, kind of along the lines of, you know, it, the woo-woo comment, uh, those words might be intimidating to some, I can imagine. Uh, for, could how would you explain relationship system intelligence to say you know, my 89 year old mother-in-law uh, or or someone who's not familiar with it yeah uh thank goodness for daniel goldman that sort of crossed some of those edges for us when uh he and the students that actually wrote the material that he then wrote about started talking about emotional intelligence and and social intelligence that uh it's easy for me to sit with my with a grandma and go what and how much do you know about yourself what are the things that you know that you so that that awareness of self? I think uh, most people have. Uh, when we then talk about so, what is the intelligence that there is between the two of us? That not only do you know about yourself and I know about myself, and we can talk personality there if you want to. Um, but if we now think that there is this thing between us that is actually our connection, and our connection is more than just you or just me. Our connection is sort of the invisible weave, the bond between us. And what if it has some information as well? I think that there are, what we've seen uh, in some of the, it's actually in the aviation industry uh, where we've done some work with uh, team leaders where 
uh, it was interesting that um, in the beginning, they absolutely totally could sit with uh, emotional intelligence. They got the uh, emotional social intelligence piece. It's like this piece about RSI, they just relationship systems intelligence. They couldn't get it. Um, and it wasn't until one of the engineers, uh, after they went out back home coaching that evening, um, he came back the next day and he was somebody that during the whole two days at the beginning, it was a three-day session, and in the whole two days in the beginning, he was sort of, I could just see the naysayer look on his face um, and very little input. When they came back uh, from the coaching and the application of things that they did uh, the night before, he actually came back and reported that it was, uh, he's, a, he's a single dad with two adolescent kids and the kids are in a lot of conflict and he's never quite known and gotten the, so he ended up sitting with it because something started happening between with them the night before and he thought, oh, well, I've got to do some stuff anyway. I'm going to try this. And he started doing what we do in the third entity exercise. He heard the one side, then he heard the other side, then he asked them to switch roles and they did it. And then they went to their own sides again. And he said it was just messy. And he started talking the moment we came into the course, he was the first one. Then we talked about homework that is end up. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, and he came and said, I didn't believe it. But last night was the first time in the eight years since I've, I think it was eight years since I've been alone with my children, that they actually had a conversation and I could have a conversation with them because they had something else available to them when they didn't just look at one another, but could look at the space between them. So I think if we can just help people cross minimal viable edges, they may not get it exactly like we do. That's okay. Just meet them in the pace that they can get because there's just, there is a quantum intelligence in that that is so accessible uh, that they get it. In the end, they do get it. We just need to give up our smart language sometimes. Yeah. In the in the book, there's a you mentioned the technique of placing a physical object in in front of people to represent a, a idea or a source of conflict. Could you uh, explain that a little? Because that ties in very nicely to the story you just shared, and that to me that was really awesome. Uh, yeah, one of the uh, one of the things that sometimes you have to, and again, what I need to say is that one of the most important parts in the book, and that's sort of my life journey at the moment of discovery uh, is the importance of being able to meet people where they are. Not where I think they're going to be, but where they really are. Um, and sometimes metaphor really helps. So I will often, when I come into a team meeting where I know we're going to struggle with challenges, um, I will ask the team, um, before the call to each one of them bring something, an object from their desk. I'm going to do something like that in a guest lecturing group again soon. Um, but uh, prepare to have something on their desk as they come into our session, something 
that they feel can represent something to them that's an ally, something that makes them feel strong. So I'm sitting here with, <laughs> I'm a woman, so I'm sitting here with a semi-precious stone that is, the, that is heart-shaped. So for example, if I can come in with the stone in my hand, I had somebody come in with a uh, stapler. So if they have no idea what they're gonna do with it. The only thing I'm asking them is it's something that gives you confidence makes you feel, bring that to the session. Then when we start, it's a little bit different from the question that you've asked, but it's going the same direction. Then when we asking, start to look at the conflict, at some stage, I will have them turn again to that object that they chose before we sat. And how is this object, you could, this is an easy one, if I sit with a heart, it's an easy one to say the object is asking me to come from a heart. But it's a cold stone, so there's something there as well. Um, I did not know what our gentleman was going to do with his stapler. And he came back and he said, in conflict, I get how I get confused. There are too many pieces of paper floating around. I need a stapler to pull it together. But can you see how in that interaction with that object, he actually got the allyship with himself. I need to, I'm not just fighting with people. I'm fighting and responding because I don't, I, I can't pull it all together. So how can the stapler, the relationship with that stapler, how can that help you? And part of, um, during the rest of the session, there were often with the different things that people brought, I would say, I think we need a stapler now. What are the documents that need to be pulled together? And I could go with that or somebody else had something else. If you know, I had my heart, I said, I think we need to pause because the heart feel like it's gone cold. But if we warm it up, what is the information? That... And again, can you see it is the it that of our relationship that is represented in the metaphor. It's both me, but it's also the us-ness or the we-ness. It's almost like the the metaphor, the object, <clears throat> makes it uh, safer to speak things that you might not otherwise. That's it. Metaphor always, always makes it easier because it's less of a, it's not about your stapler. It's what is the stapler giving you? Because if you can begin to reframe um, what is useful about something, um, and sometimes I need to get the other side of the stapler. It's not stapler times anymore because I don't have documents in front of you. <laughs> but sometimes you need that thing in the stapler that unplugs some pieces that are stapled together. That's the wrong pieces. But there's a way in which people in that relationship with the system itself, it now is no longer about the disagreement between me and you. It is about there's something going on between us and how is it trying to solve it? It's telling us to un unstaple some pieces that we had together because they don't fit together. So it really is about playing with metaphor um, to begin to express what is going on between us. Yeah, and I I have to say that that being not only a participant of a lot of your work as well as a coach trying to aligned to those types of practices. It's very interesting to watch. I have to say, 
it's it's a skill that I didn't even know I possessed until I went through part of my yes. journey, right? And I think something that emerges for me is as we talk about RSI, which has been a cornerstone or the foundation of, of my next iteration in my own coaching methodology or mindset is around meta skills, right? So as yes. we kind of start to look at things, and we've been talking a lot about this at, at my current company is, you know, if we were to constellate around meta skills, what would you want to hold the organization accountable for? Or what do you want to hold? Which meta skill do you want to, you know, hold for the organization or for the group? And it's been an abstract concept. And it's been interesting to see much how our journey started, Marita. Very interesting yeah. to see how language will trigger people. And there's an emotion behind it. So what sort of nuggets of wisdom do you have when starting to embark on more of that that emotional field view and being able to read the emotional field of the room of a group of people and using maybe meta skills as a reflection or a, an opportunity to to normalize things yeah uh it's interesting because part of what you're talking about now ties into one of the competencies that is about the ability to hear sense and see the system and again you can feel how metaphors are in there um, so if there is a weather metaphor um, it may come in the meta skill of calm or there may be a meta skill that is the calm or the quiet before the storm so it's again it is um, but it really is that piece where we need to have the system itself, the team itself, inform us. So we can, in the beginning, maybe come in with the meta skill from the outside. Um, but there is something, and I think it's why our social contract with teams and with leaders that we're talking about as the DTA, the Design Team Alliance, I think that's why that's so important because I'm also, as a CEO and as a leader in different situations, um, in the DTA, in the team agreements, the social contract, I start listening from meta skills. So if people begin to talk about a, a, an atmosphere of inquiry or an atmosphere of uh, fun or an atmosphere of thinking about it, or you can see how... Um, in that description of, of the atmosphere, the culture that they want to create, you begin to get the nuggets of meta skills as well. Uh, and I think that it's one of the places where, like with all books, the moment the book is published, it's already out of date. <laughs> um, but I think there is something about uh, in the work that all of us, and that's where meta skill comes in, all of us rehearse unconsciously. I unconsciously rehearse what's going to happen on the call. All of you did. So the meta skill is my conscious rehearsal of how I want to enter the call. So that when I ran a little bit late and I had to apologize, I can also bring the meta skill, but I'm still curious. I'm still excited. Otherwise, I may just sit in my hypeness of, oh, my gosh, I was late. Uh, but meta skills gives, gives us the opportunity to rehearse how we want to enter. 
the difficult conversation or the conflict or the complexity of some conversations. Uh, it's a rehearsal. I love I love that metaphor of rehearsal, yeah. right? Like yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I that that resonates uh, quite deeply. So, um, a, as we continue to kind of go through this journey of of RSI, meta skills, other skills within the book, or teachings within the book, what was your your? This is going to be a, a loaded question, right? So, um, <laughs> do you have a favorite part in the book that you wrote that you had deeper connection with? Is there something in the book that you were like, this is near and dear, like it hits closer yeah. to heart than mind. Yeah. And, and you just kind of, it, it, it took you to a different place and you learned something from it. Oh, that's a great question, Andrew. Um, and because it was near and dear to me, it was one of the more difficult chapters to write about uh, because I was so, I was so perfected to it. Um, <laughs> I think it is the work that there is for us as systems inspired leaders and coaches that there is when we are sitting in that principle or aware of that driving principle behind what's happening that systems are in a constant state of emergence and so for me that's the work and that's so i mean that is the water we're swimming in the weather we're walking in today in our world more so than ever there's a constant steady emergence and how do we create from it uh, and I think that's the place where when I'm aware that there's emergence and that because the emergence has been around for too long there may well be an emergency that I'm walking into um, <laughs> I need to rehearse that I need to rehearse that okay it's emergence but if there's already a reacting to then how do we how do I meet that so I think it's the, it's the principle of emergence that's driving some of the ways in which we can work with it. And that's, again, when I'm talking about this and I'm talking about um, how to cross edges, it's all informed by Ani Mandel's work uh, in, um, in process, process work. That um, I know that when there is an emergency the individual, the organization, the team, whoever it is that experiences that has walked against the wall. They've walked and came across an edge that cannot be crossed. There is no knowledge of how to do it. Um, and that's the question then um, uh, that brings us to that discovery of, um, through Leslie Morse actually, uh, of what she introduced uh, in the work that we did around CBAT and the work that we've done together, she introduced the concept of minimal viable edge. So yeah. if I'm sitting in a situation where the team literally have their backs turned to the team leader, where the team leader sits with these, what is the minimal viable edge I can ask them to cross rather than that massive edge that I conceive like, come on guys, why don't you just turn around and look at one another? That's what I can do from the outside. It's not what they can house. So it really is that pausing, the practice, the pause to sit with. What is the one small thing that we can do in this now? Please don't think about post-meeting or tomorrow, but one small thing 
that can happen now that will make a difference. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I think no. that the edge work has, again, really helped me in, in being that reflective point and mapping all the edges people cross in a day can really be alarming right? Like, wow, I crossed all these edges in one day. So I think it's great to, for people to have that understanding and, and, and knowledge of really, what are the points of friction we cross or, or discomfort that we cross every day? I love what you're saying there, because you're bringing uh, up something, uh, Andrew, that I think we, we fail at in, in organizational coaching and couples coaching in leadership everywhere. We, particularly now when the speed of change is so fast, even faster than before, um, where we overcome so much, but we don't ever pause to celebrate that which we have overcome. Uh, so I think it's that piece that you're talking about. That is, um, what if in that situation that I've not had the experience of, but I use as a metaphor where, uh, the team is not willing to look at one another. I've had in couples work, somebody say to their partner, I can't stand to look at you. Um, and there are moments, uh, I'm telling you that the intimate relationship is the most difficult one to navigate, uh, in a systems inspired way. Um, so, uh, but I've, I've, if, if I think about that situation where they don't want, want to look at one another, um, one of the ways that we can do is go, okay, don't want to look so really turn away. Don't just have to turn away. So amplify it, go with it. Um, and then do what you made me think of, Andrew, is one of the ways that we can work with it is to have them in that seating. Just quietly ask the question, do you remember um, last week when this happened, that you got this email from your client that, that reported so much efficacy and praised you? And in the beginning, nobody will probably say anything, but it's that it's it's actually revealing the edges that they did cross effectively. We don't do enough of that. Yeah, and, and I think that's great. So I, it, it, Mike's ready to ask a question. I just want to to acknowledge the fourth participant on our call today is yes, Guido, you heard him. the French bulldog. So it's I, we just want to honor Guido's presence and and thank him for for joining us on on the on the journey today. So, um, Guido, but Guido, yeah, Guido was my French bulldog. That, um, I tried to lock away in the bedroom or some other, but he's an escape artist, and he usually shows up when things are going really really well. So if Guido was snoring, I know we're on a good track because if, if things are bad, he will be differently quiet. He will be on guard. So. It's it's as you used to call it a screamer. Uh, we might refer to this one as a quantum flirt. So quantum I'll, I'll, flirt. I'll take it. Flirt. I'll it's take a quantum it. Flirt. It's a quantum flirt. Thank you. Maybe Thank Guido you. senses what's happening and he responds accordingly. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, attacks do. They really do. There's a time when they know when to be on guard. The time when they go, okay, I can go to sleep now. You guys are good. Yeah. So, um, pick, kind of uh, picking up on the the thread that uh, that we're just uh, talking about. Uh, when there, in in the book, there's a substantial treatment of the idea of conflict, and there were two uh, 
things about conflict that really spoke to me. One was um, conflict is the engine of change and that conflict is an unopened package of information. And th those two things, I, I read those, I, I was like, holy mackerel, that is brilliantly insightful. Could you maybe uh, elaborate a bit on, on how that, because th those may seem contradictory to, to folks who aren't um, deep into it yet. And again, it's from that systems uh, uh, on a constant state of emergence. Um, and everybody is a voice of the system is another principle. Conflict shows up and it looks as if it's between only two people, but it actually is a systemic experience. So how do we thank them for the conflict, depersonalize it and go where and how is this also happening somewhere else in our everyday experience in the office or at home. So it is uh, because it really is, it's a systemic signal. I can't remember who the author is that talked about. Um, you can fire the person, but you cannot fire the role. So if somebody is the person that brings the disturbance, yes, it's their style that brings the, the upheaval, but it actually is a systemic event. So how do we relieve that person from his role nausea of always or she of always having to bring the conflict? Because it is, it's a packet of information that we just, uh, and the example that I sometimes use is it's now being delivered at our door, but we keep on sending it back. Um, and then they come to pick it up again, but then it comes in. So by the time that we finally make the time to sit down, to open this thing, to realize that actually it was somebody that sent me an iPhone um, as a gift. It's, it's that, but by now that, that package is dirty and trampled because it's been back and forth in different places. It really is, we don't know. We have to develop the patience and the endurance and the kindness to unpackage conflict because it has information for us. It just does. Yeah, that, that, that was such a uh, blinding insight. I, I, yeah. I, I, just, I just loved it. And it, that, that uh, process that you just described uh, seems like it, it's, it's a process of kind of sensing what's in the system and what the system is trying to, to tell you or, or uh, let you know. Uh, so for, for folks who maybe are not practiced at that, what, what advice, you know, what, what, what advice could you give them to maybe start them on that journey of, of yeah. listening to the system? I think that one of the ways that you can play with it is um, to let people, allow people to leave that role. So if there is somebody that um, has a constant conflict about, I don't know, um, that our meetings don't go get anywhere. We just meet, we talk, we talk, we talk, and leave the meeting and nothing happens. Uh, and then somebody else will begin to say, oh gosh, there you go again. You always say that. The moment you hear something like that, you always say that. And there's that irritation. That's one of the signals that it's a systemic issue. Because otherwise people would be Teflon. It wouldn't, it wouldn't scratch them. Uh, but that there is an irritation there. So one of the ways to then go it is, um, okay, uh, Mike, I'm going to release you from that role in which you keep on telling us that we're not getting anywhere. And if you just go and sit in another chair, and then if somebody else can imagine they sit in that chair and what's your version 
your version, the other person's version. Uh, if we never get anywhere, let them speak it. And then, okay, you pick somebody else. When you sat in that chair, now pick somebody else to go to that chair that is about, we don't get anywhere in our meetings. And what's your version of it? When you begin to do that, you really, we do talk about role noise yet that there are people that play, uh, I'm often protector and I get tired of it. Um, I'm often the problem solver and I get tired of it. Um, so uh, everybody gets tired of their roles. So it's an, it's an inner role that is, you know, it's part of our profile. But if you begin to open that conversation for everybody to contribute from the system about where and how they see it happening elsewhere, it becomes a very different conversation. Uh, yeah. The idea of wrong yeah, and is just... Yes. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, I think we all experience it. You bet. You <laughs> and, bet. and something something in the book, with, talking about conflict, I, I've been saying this, and I've, it's, it's just, it's like a bell in my head all the time now, in a good way. Um, you, you spoke about, you know, conflict and friction, and every argument or arguments turn into your next workshop or a future workshop. I love that premise, right? Like, what am I learning from the friction? What am I willing to take away? What's emerging for me out of this conflict? So it, do you have any other sort of wisdom when it comes to that type of mentality? Because I feel we do get constrained with the emotion, the drag that it creates from us looking at yes. what emerges. Yeah. Well, one of the ways that um, it's interesting, and I'm going to say it here as well, so most of the work that I do is with teams and organizations, but I stay true to the mandate that I give people that I mentor or supervise or whatever. I have a mandate. You can coach all the companies and teams that you want to, but my mandate for as long as we work together is that you also coach a couple. Because that is where the real test is. All the things that play out in the office, I can go home from. That's why there's been so much divorce because the thing in the office is now happening at home on top of what's happening at home. That's the true place for us to figure out uh, whether we are skillful in our relationships or not. So there is something that, that, that happened with a couple, um, actually that Faith and I are working with at the moment where um, it was this role thing, the role nausea. And it, it really is a replica of what we see uh, in organizations as well. So you'll recognize it. You can translate it into organizational and team pieces. But there is one of them is the one that makes sure that the kids are getting ready, that they're ready to leave, that everything's okay, that, you know, is it's the it's the door and the the you know the statistical, the the strategic one. The other one is the one that makes wants to make sure that the kids are you know, excited to go, not only done the chores of getting ready to, but they're excited to go and they love it. So the one partner is building on that excitement side. Wow, we're going to go and do this and you're going to do that and that and that. And the other partner is the one that goes, okay, but did you pick up that apple core that lie there? Did you do this? So it's that. So, and that becomes a relational issue. So, but you can see how it's roles. So when we started talking and dismantling that a little bit, started talking about that's a role that you play in service of the system. Now switch it a little bit. So we did something at the switch as well. And um, 
when you it's land it's a it's a form of lands work when you sit in that role what's it like for you and the person that is bringing all the positivity all the time is like oh it is so it's fatiguing it see there's widow barking in the background because we're in this kind of stuff um and the other one was saying i wish i could sit this positivity all day so you could see the dialogue beginning to flow and then from there there's a generation of okay when when this begins to happen i'm going to ask you to roll switch with me so they they then design design their own pieces so that became part of you know how they operate and what they do very successfully so the question that you have in terms of how do we then bring that which we gain from a privileged experience uh, like being coaches to parents how do we how do we extend that well it's interesting they both could find ways because they both are significant in the lives that they lead and the work that they do in the world um, they could take it there but one day i was saying to them how can you take it to your kids and we sit and go well it's interesting and then when they started talking about the kids the kids are reflections of course of the parents so one of the kids are the one that is always positive and up and whatever the other one is the one that fixes things so they end up they now fairly regularly the things that we do with them in couples coaching are the things that they do also do around the dinner table with their kids so it's that thing how do you begin to the gift that you receive from gaining insight and how you gain the insight and how a conflict actually was a signal for something to change how you experience that how you got there see whether there's a place on the street that you can do that see whether there is somewhere with a colleague that you can do that walk the talk of the stuff that we became privileged to receive from the system itself that's the systems inspired journey and, and i you, you know not not to keep singing the praises but i do i can't thank you enough for for kind of translating certain emotions into actual movement right the ability to take something that felt yucky and 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 just dirty and and be able to think forward and and take that as a nugget of wisdom right as a gift as you just said what what, a, what an amazing mindset shift to say i just fought with my wife or my spouse for two hours over not doing the dishes i'm going to take a gift away from that to know that i had a part in that argument what am i going to do the next time or how am i going to use this to to de-escalate or normalize or just yes. say hey this is yes. a trigger Right. All the things you're talking about, signals and emotional field and RSI, all of this to me within your book is is a toolkit to and, and it's and I'm talking a lot. But the no, thing I'm good. trying to get to the thing I'm trying to get to is as you work with leadership or influential individuals, how do you get them to cross that edge? to be able to acknowledge language like this without the wooey stuff, right? Without the, well, you're just weird or at too abstract or theoretical, right? Like you've put action to this and given people a path. So how do you enable that or allow others to see that without creating a crazy sense of urgency that there's a date, right? I gotta be changed. 
I got to be certified and ready to go in this skill by this date? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and some of that is so, you know, we're just not all the same. So how you do it and how you do it, Mike, stylistically may be very different from how I might do it. So, so really get in touch. And I think that we just don't have enough self-reflection uh, in terms of when this happens in the world, what are all the selves in me that are in reaction or in response to that? Just that kind of, uh, really, I think that there's a different meditation or spiritual path that uh, is a different access point at the moment for us in human evolution that really is to sit at the end of the day and think about questions, think about conversations. Who were all the selves of mind that was present in a conversation with, um, with Andrew and with, uh, with Mike? Who were the ones that were in conversation just before the other call I had? And when did I bring something from that call projected onto just that kind of conversation, how, whatever level you can do it, but get to know your own Cynthia Lloyd Das language, get to know your own, own inside team. Who are the people in you that you can, that can help you do things that are allies? Who are the people in you that are protectors and that sometimes comes out the wrong way because they are trying to protect? So I think the one thing is that kind of awareness we have and so there's a place somewhere, I think, getting older, and I don't know what it is that makes it easier to be able to go to somebody and go, you know, I don't quite understand what you're saying, but if I try to make sense with it and how you could do something differently with it, I would say, what is the information that the team itself or the system itself have for you? But what's the language that you will use? What do you want to, what sense do you, but then let them frame it in language that they can use. Um, yeah. So it's, and again, it takes me to that place. And I talk a lot, but it takes me to, <laughs> I think one of our biggest challenges, and it is my spiritual path, it's got nothing to do with religion at the moment, is how do we meet people where they are and where we can meet who they are with curiosity? Because I love that then I don't have my own language or my own theory or whatever. If we train people, then we want to be able to, to link it back to a theoretical framework and to whatever, whatever. Um, but in order to bring the change about, as long as I can meet them where they are and help ask them to help me, because it's not because you're less than me, we just speak a different language. And just from the coaching stance, where it is about the client's agenda, it is about the organization's agenda. It is about the team's agenda that my agenda gets influenced. So it's just all of those. Um, now, and that ties in nicely, I think. So just a, t a time check as, as we, we typically run these about an hour. So I know Mike had another question that aligns to sort of where we're going and, that, and then we'll look to wrap up a little bit okay. and, and just kind of close out. Um, so I just, just putting that out there. So, Mike, uh, I know you had a question about roles. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, kind of uh, connecting with uh, that that last bit, uh, this this uh, line from the book really struck me. Change is an emotional journey. Um, that that really 
really uh, caught my eye. And I got to thinking about uh, and connecting that with another part of the book where it talked about roles belong to the system and thinking that's a, that's a change in, in the mindset for many people. And that um, I got to thinking, okay, so now I start working with a group of people how do I approach this? Because it's an emotion. I'm uh, possibly giving them the impression that the role that they ident, which people identify with so deeply, doesn't belong to them anymore, and that's likely to trigger a very deep emotion. And so I'm curious your thoughts on or any you know, wisdom yeah. on how to how to bring them around that edge, so to speak. Yeah. Without, losing their sense of importance. Again, I would use metaphor or examples or stuff like that, uh, because what we need to do is there are outer roles. I mean, right now, the outer role is that, Andrew, you are the leader of this call. You're the host. Uh, Mike, you have questions. You are supporting and helping in the back. Uh, there's an outer role. There's an outer role for me as guest and together with outer roles come some rules that we all live by every day and respond to so the concept of roles are not that foreign and strange um if we begin to look at inner roles it sounds like it go in the woo-woo direction but we also know that inner roles is exemplified and is what we are in assessments identified in terms of who we are. Uh, that's actually, that's inner roles that brings that profile of who I am. So inner roles, uh, not that weird and woo either. It's just the question of um, my inner role will also, who I am in my profile will influence how I execute on my outer role. And if you think about it, that systems can't talk. The only talking and, and communication that it can do and give is through the people that makes up the system. So it's from that perspective that we say systems rely on roles to execute its functions. There's a role of CEO. There's a role of CFO. There's a role of le a podcast leader. It's roles. And the system can only get expressed through those roles. Now, if we then think about how I don't know what some of the I am types or profiles are that the two of you are willing to share and sit in. Um, but for me, <laughs> every single profile that I've done, assessment of whatever sort or nature, sort of comes down to the same place where um, I am a leaper. I think outside the box. I am danger because I threaten people because it's like, what are you talking about? Uh, and then there's something about impact as well. So that will impact my leadership style. So until, and I'm gonna give you an example. Um, if you think about Faith and myself, you know, roles as founders of Sierra Global and, uh, and the product itself, even we, when we are going into situations, whether it was training or whether it's working with a couple or a team, we leverage our inner roles in different ways. If there is 
a more serious message or a challenge that needs to be given, I will wait for Faith to do it because she's charm. She's petite. People like her. They want to have coffee with her. Uh, that's not quite me. So I need to be careful how I say things because I may have an impact from my inner role that was totally unintended. So um, it's wow. that kind of, and that's actually when we are as leaders and partners, when we create our own social contract, those are the very things that we need to have access to and that we need to play with. So it's not about handing over your role of CEO. It is about that role needs to be informed and inspired by all the wisdom and brilliance of the system that it's managing. That's that. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Uh, that, that's a brilliant insight. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, 60 minutes is, I, I can't believe the time, uh, seriously, no, is no, no. not enough to, to really get into the true essence of, of the wisdom uh, of, of your brain. Um, I, I will say that, um, I, I want to encourage everybody to please read this book. Um, it, it, has, it has been my companion now since, since I knew it was coming out. And I, I, I've encouraged everyone, at least in my network. So I'm hoping that people listen to this, are curious. Marita, is there any, you know, please share with us how to, how to follow you, connect with you if you want. Um, we will publish in the show notes a way to purchase the book. Uh, it's widely available on most purchasing platforms, but we'll also put it in the show notes. So is there anything else from uh, your perspective that you want to share or a way for people to c connect yeah. with you to get more information? I think the email connection is Marita at Sierra Global, Marita at Sierra Global. Uh, and then uh, I'm sure if you're on LinkedIn and you search for me, you'll find my profile, uh, invite me, whatever. Um, so I think if there's a final message, I want to say that the way in which, uh, on the one hand, uh, the book is serving its purpose, but it's also had something else emerges for me. Uh, and I want to leave you with that, that I think the concept of systems inspired is the place where we need to look. Because if you think about coaching, where we're talking about it's the client's agenda, it is me uploading the wisdom of the client and their brilliance, not downloading mine. There's something about that in leadership as well. What is the brilliance that need to come from my team at a moment where I just don't know which way to turn? So systems-inspired coaching, systems-inspired fill-in-the-blanks, I think for me at the moment feels like a safer expression than deep democracy because wow. democracy is under so much pressure at the moment. And how do we think about what's happening what is the system trying to tell us? I I I have to I have to soak that in for a minute, just because I, again um, there was a lot there when you talked about uploading. So I hope that people have found this as valuable as I have. Um, I will say that we will 
we look forward. I would love to do more of this. So I hope that I we would, can find more opportunity. I would sit with you, Andrew, every <laughs> single time you tap me. And Mike, it's such a great thing to meet you and everybody. Uh, you know, please ping Andrew or myself, whoever the questions and thoughts. Um, because again, we want to upload your brilliance, not just download mine. Or that's a that's a that's an egocentric piece. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak about it. But for me, the evolution is about hearing people noodle with it. And for me, that's what made this call life giving. The questions that you ask, the way you ask them, the place, and how you use them. That's the place of evolution. Now, thank you, Marita, and thank you, Mike. I appreciate both of your your time today, and and thank you for writing this book. So seriously, thank you thank for you. reading thank you. and for helping to <laughs> you need to know that in the end, who wrote the book? It's people that were our students, you it's like who wrote the book? Frank and I were just executing on some <laughs> practical well, stuff. I, I appreciate the words that were written and the effort that went along with it. So from Agile Uprising, we appreciate your ability to influence and help drive a message that that we feel very is very important and impactful. And um, I think that's that's going to bring us to a close. So again, thank you, Marita. Thank you, Mike. And um, we will talk in the future. So thank you. Thanks, everybody. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast.